But let us pray. If you could join with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your touch. We thank you, Lord, for your word that leads and guides us into all truth, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just pray tonight that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, help me. Help me to deliver the message that you have given, Lord Jesus. Help me to speak from you, Lord. And Lord Jesus, help our hearts, all of us, to be open to what you would have to say, to your voice. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if we could turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. And we'll start in verse 1 and 2. And then we'll jump to verse 26. So start in verse 1 and 2. And when you're there, say amen. Any more amens? Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And it says, the Word of God says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So here the Lord is telling Moses to send one of each of the 12 tribes of Israel into Canaan. And obviously they were making their way from Egypt. They were on the Exodus and making their way to the promised land. And God is instructing Moses to send one of each tribe into the land of Canaan to spy out the land. And in verse 26 it says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So they came back with these massive big bunches of grapes and they showed them the awesome food that they found in the land of Canaan. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So they're showing this big massive fruit and big bunches of grapes. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Say, we can certainly do it. Can you? Say it again. We can certainly do it. That's much better. Now I'm almost convinced you can certainly do it. But the men had gone up, but the men who had gone up with him, with Caleb, said, We can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report, say a bad report, about the land that they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed 
like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Say own eyes. Not their eyes, our own eyes. When we looked the same to them. Amen. Hallelujah. Here we see the spies going into the promised land and coming back all but two of them with an evil report, with a bad report. And we're continuing this series of fake news. Fake news. And here was some fake news. God had sent them in to possess the land. God had sent the spies in for them to see what he had given them. So he told them, I've given you this land. Yet ten of the spies came back and said, we can't take it. We can't do it. This can't be done. Remember, they had gone through the Red Sea. They had woken up in the morning to see manna from heaven coming up on the ground that they could eat. They saw quail just appear in the evening. All these things that they had seen and they had forgotten God was with them. They had forgotten that God was with them and would give them the victory. But Caleb, in faith, said we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He brought a good report. He brought a true report. He understood that they could do it. They could take possession of the land. That because the Lord had promised it, the Lord would give it. Amen? Because the Lord had promised it, the Lord would do it for them. Yet those other ten spies, they tried to see it through their own perspective, through their own version, through their own comparison, and through their own insecurities. But whose report will you believe? Whose report will you believe? The report of the Lord? The good report or the bad report? And as we heard last week, we're surrounded by so much fake news. If the devil can't get you to believe the lies coming through, you know, mainstream media on CNN and ABC and Channel 7, the Corona Network, um, if they can't get you on the left... They'll get you on the right. The devil will get you through Infowars or David Icke or some other strange YouTube site. Fake news hits us from both sides, from all sides. Because when it comes to media and social media and even these alternative news sites, filter everything. Filter everything you hear through the word of God. Amen? Because they all have an agenda and their agenda is not of God. Their agenda is either to sell ads, make more ratings. So the more sensational something is, the more clickbait you're going to get. And the more clickbait, the more people will click on that, then the more ads you can sell. And the more ads you can sell, the more money you make for your company. That's how media works. Now, you know, there's stories, some stories in the media are just matter of fact. Like they tell you, you know, this is the all ordinary index or this is what happened today or this car crashed on the road. Yeah, that's basic news, you know. But sometimes there's this undercurrent that runs through the news cycle. There's this undercurrent that's trying to sort of 
push an agenda, to push a, a philosophy perhaps. And it could be various types depending on what news source it is. They're all trying to push you one way or the other. They're all trying to appeal to their demographic. They're all trying to sell more ad space or have more listeners or viewers. So they all have an agenda. You know, the, the guy from InfoWars, what's his name? Alex Jones. He's trying to sell you that cure for coronavirus. It's made of toothpaste and silver or something. You know, everyone's trying to sell you something. They're trying to get something across so they will come up with fake news. And it's been happening since there was news. It's been happening even since this time when, they, when those spies went into the promised land. They came back with fake news. They came back with news that supported their own selfish motives and their own fears and fed their own fears and they went around and spread that throughout Israel and, in, and talked about the giants instead of the promises of God. Focused on the giants, focused on the problems instead of the promise. Say, I'm going to focus on the promise. I'm going to focus on the promise. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the promise. Amen? You know, at work you always get these people, they always just focus on the problem. I can't do it. It's too, many, it's too impossible. Always looking at the problem, never looking at the solution. You know, we need to be focusing on the promise that God has for us. Amen? When I was, uh, just another example from work, of wait, working on sort of like the fake news or my sort of experience, I had to do stats for work and I work at um, the Registry of Births, Deaths and Marriages. And um, they said, oh, Ben, can you pull out some stats for this, I'm not going to say which media outlet it was, but it was a, um, a big media outlet. And they said, oh, we want to get the, the death stats. Because surely with coronavirus, and I'm not saying coronavirus is harmless, you know, it's terrible, you know, take care, don't get it. Just for the sake of, I don't want to get that test. You, has anyone had a coronavirus test yet? Put up your hand. That, it sounds awful. They get the swab and put it at the back of your nose, like almost down your throat. It sounds like absolute torture. I just don't want to get sick, like from a normal cold, so I don't have to get that stupid thing in my nose. Just don't want to get any of that. I, don't, I hate being sick anyway. I'm the worst sick person there is. I whinge, just ask my wife. I'm terrible. But they were saying, surely the deaths have gone up because of coronavirus. This was a couple of months ago. The death toll for coronavirus at that time was a, a bit over 100. And so I ran the stats for the deaths, the monthly, month by month. And the deaths for April, May and June, compared to April, May and June in the previous years, was lower. It was lower. And they were going, oh, we don't, surely that's not right. And I go, yeah, of course it's right. How can that be right? Isn't coronavirus killing everyone? Yeah, it's 100 people. That, 150 people die every day in Australia. And, and they said, and they looked at 2017, and 2017 actually was higher than every other year. And they go, why is it so high in 2017? 
And I said, oh, we had a bad flu that year. So usually influenza kills about 1,500 people per year in Australia. That's normal. That's just regular, every day, nobody even bats an eyelid. Every year, 1,500 people, they're usually elderly or immuno, you know, um, you know, with weak immune systems. Um, but in 2017, over 3,000 people died in Australia from a strain of flu that was running through. I can't remember what it was. H1N2 or something. I'm not an epidemiologist. I can't tell you. If, I can't remember what name it was. But they couldn't believe that the deaths had gone down. And the reason the deaths had gone down is because everyone was in lockdown. So no one was out driving their cars. And the leading cause of death for people between the age of 15 and 30, I think it is, especially for men, is uh, multiple injuries from car accidents. So there were less cars on the road, therefore there were less car accidents. Less people getting the flu. So remember, the flu is killing 1,500 people a year. Less people are getting the flu because they're socially distancing, they're washing their hands, they're not going on the train, that germ bucket, the train. They're not, they're not going places that they would normally go to catch the flu. So this news outlet got really sort of put off. They're like, how can that be? Surely it would have gone up. But they wanted something sensational. They wanted something that they could talk about that would freak people out and make them scared. Oh, no, everyone's dying. It's terrible. There's bodies out in the streets. And I remember when the, the virus first came out, and I'm not sort of some person that dismisses the virus or anything. I'm just, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. I like to stay in the middle and be real. Um, but I remember when it first came out in China, I was, I was a bit disappointed because I was hoping there'd be zombies. I really want to test myself in a zombie apocalypse, but somehow I don't think it's going to happen. But... Um, you know, I was, I was waiting to see, you know, bodies just lying out in the streets. But, you know, obviously it's a terrible thing, but the news make it even more so. They bump it up even more so, the fear element of things. Instead of just reporting facts, instead of just reporting the data, they report fear. And that's what news outlets do. They try to make it sensational. Oh, no. Freaky, you know, so that you're addicted to it. You become addicted to the news. You start watching it. You start looking, opening up your phone. And one thing I found is, even though I'm off social media, I had to stop myself going onto news, you know, in, and looking at the news, you know, five or ten times a day. You know, really, I should be looking at this news, amen? The good news, amen? And looking to that more. There's nothing wrong. We're looking at the news, that's fine. We need to keep abreast of what's going on in the world, you know. If Australia was being attacked, it'd be nice to know, I guess, you know. It'd be nice to know, you know, if there's a car crash on the road that you're going on or something like that. But we need to have our heads in the Bible, amen. We need to be consumed with the Word of God. And if only we could devote as much time to the Word of God and to evangelising the Gospel as we would instead of spreading fear or even spreading conspiracies. I know that some conspiracies fit into eschatology and prophecy. Yes, I understand that. And that's true. We, we need to keep, keep our eyes on the signs of the times. 
absolutely. You know, but we can't let that overcome us with fear. Amen? When we see things like a cashless society coming, coming very quickly, it seems, we should rejoice. Not for the cashless society, but because we know that Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen? Who's looking forward to the coming of the Lord? Amen? Are you looking forward to the coming of the Lord? If so, you should be rejoicing when you see these things coming to pass. Right before our eyes, we're seeing prophecy come to pass. Amen? Always season your words. Always put things into context. Always put things into biblical context. Always check your sources. Even people who purport to be Christians lie. What? How can that be? Seems unbelievable. How, how can a Christian lie? They must be a Christian. It must be true what they're saying. Are you a Christian? Who Put up your hand if you're a Christian. That's good. We've got a few Christians here tonight. Put up your hand if you've lied. In the last year since you've been a Christian. It's amazing. Christians lie. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. So just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't make it true. Check everything. Amen. I just wanted to show a clip of an example of people purporting to be Christians and maybe telling a bit of a... Oh, here it is here. So here's this lady. You might have seen this. I remember when I first saw this, I thought, amazing. Look at this healing. But apparently she's been healed about four times now in four different churches. So what she does, she has a double-jointed arm, if you've seen this, and she does this kind of... So these preachers pay her to go to different churches to do this miracle to try and get, obviously, people into their churches. So, you know, but she's been to all these different churches and done this trick she does with her arm... And, you know, obviously everyone gets excited and they think, wow, that's amazing. But the terrible thing is it's faking a miracle for the purpose of financial gain. That is so bad. That is like some real bad stuff. But, you know, even fool me, when I first saw the clip, I thought, wow, amazing, she got healed. But I did think, oh, that's a weird thing with her arm. But um, unfortunately... Um, it's not to be. It was not a miracle and it was just a, a, a sort of a, a double-jointed thing that she has that she can put her arm up and then she's able to bring it back out as well. So it's almost like a, a, a bit of a trick that she can play on behalf of those preachers. So we need to be careful, amen? But we've seen genuine miracles, amen? Who's ever experienced a genuine move of God or a genuine genuine miracle in their life amen put up your hand if you've seen a, had a healing or you've seen a miracle you know we've seen some awesome miracles even at the altar here in this church seen blind eyes healed and you know I remember years ago this is years ago remember that I don't know if anyone remembers but there was a man healed from AIDS 
and they were doing studies on him. There was a, a, a group of Fijian ladies that came from this church, kept praying for this man. He'd already lost the rest of his family to HIV or to AIDS and they prayed for him and he was healed. But he never came to church, which just goes to show, you know, just because you get a healing, you know, remember those lepers, you know, there's only one that came back and thanked the Lord. Hallelujah. But we've got, a, we've got some giants, some Nephilim running around in our society today. And these are some ideas and some religions and teachings that are going around. But they're not giants we can't defeat. Amen? But they're around and we need to be careful of them. And uh, one is one that our pastor taught about a few weeks ago. He was talking about eternal security, the doctrine of eternal security. And it's very closely related to another popular doctrine at the moment, which is called hypergrace. Hypergrace. Sounds good, hypergrace. I like hypergrace, the name. But it's not a very good teaching. But basically what it is, it's a term that's used to describe this teaching that emphasises the grace of God to the exclusion of all other vital teachings, such as repentance and confession of sin. In other words, that, that all your sin, past, present, future, has already been forgiven, so there's no need for a believer to even confess it. Hypergrace teaching says that when God looks at us, he sees only a holy and righteous people. And the conclusion of hypergrace teaching is that we are not bound not just by the law, which, yes, we're not bound by the law, but we're not even bound by Jesus' teaching. So you can just do whatever you want. The believers are not responsible for their sin and that anyone who disagrees is a Pharisee and a legalist. In short, hypergrace teaches, as Jude 1.4 says, pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. They pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Jesus' words to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, you know, he keeps telling, he tells the church of Ephesus, you know, to consider how far they've fallen in Revelation 2 verse 4. You know, he said, repent and do the works you did at the first. You know, somewhat you've left your first love. You go on to the next verse, verse 5. But if thou hast, thou hast hated the deeds. And then he goes on to say, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So Jesus rebukes five of the seven churches of Asia and demands repentance from them. Now that means that believers are accountable for their sin. He's not writing to the unsaved. He's writing to churches. He's writing to people that are born again. He's writing to churches, the called out ones. And he's telling them to go back to their first love. He's telling them to repent and do the works that they first did. Or I'll take all, there'll be consequences. Be careful of these doctrines. Be careful of this teaching. Also, we've got a big one, the fastest growing religion, in, not in terms of percentage, but in terms of just sheer numbers, is Islam. And mainly that's due to birth rate in uh, Muslim countries such as Pakistan, 
they grow, the, the population is growing so quickly in terms of births. And I admire Muslims uh, in terms of their diligence and their discipline. You know, uh, Ramadan, I think, wow, that's, you know, I kind of admire the fact that, you know, you have sort of a billion people all fasting in the same month. Um, and I used to go to school with a lot of Muslim kids and, you know, I'd see them go through the day and they couldn't even, you know, drink water. And I used to you know, admire that, you know, and I used to admire their diligence, you know. Not not all of them are practising, just like not all Christians are, but... Um, but it's based on fake news. The religion, the whole religion's premise and foundation is based on fake news. It's based on these main ideas that Jesus didn't say he was the son of God and certainly did not say he was God manifest in flesh. Yet we know Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He asked Peter, who do men say that I am? You know, and when Peter said, you are the son of the living God, he said, well, you know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. He definitely, most definitely expressed that he was God manifest in flesh, that he was the I am revealed in humanity. Amen? They also base it on this other piece of fake news, that Jesus did not die on the cross. But that's the very thing that we need for redemption. That was the very purpose that he came to this earth. Obviously, he came for other things to fulfill the law, to show us the way, to teach. But also, he came to die for our sins. Amen? If he doesn't die, there's no remission of sins. If he doesn't die, there's no redemption. If he doesn't die, there's no victory for us. But yet they state that he did not die on the cross and that all that he's, either his soul was taken or that it was an imposter or an empty soulless body that went to the cross. Unbelievable. And yet 11 of the 12 apostles who had seen Jesus raised from the dead, one even asked to put his finger in the scars, went to all corners of the earth that they knew. Thomas went to India, others went to Egypt, others went to even up to Armenia and other places. They went as far as they could think of to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 11 or 10 of those 12, John died of natural causes, but 10 of those 12 were killed for their faith, were killed for the truth of the gospel. Why would they go to all these different places? Why would they risk death, their reputation, their life? They weren't getting paid for it. They weren't getting any financial gain from it. All they were getting was persecution and victory and glory of God in their life to see the gospel spread. Amen? That's all they were getting out of it. They were just getting a heavenly reward. They weren't getting any earthly reward out of it. They had no reason to go and lie, to make up some story that they had seen this man, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, come back to life. They had no reason to make that up. 
Why would they go if it was a lie? Why would they go if it wasn't happened, if it didn't happen? Why would they be crucified upside down? Why would they be killed? Why would they be ran into a cave like Thomas in India? They ran him into a cave and speared him. Why would they do that if it was a lie? They had seen Jesus come back from the grave. Amen. They had seen the resurrected Christ and that convinced them of the truth of the gospel. Amen. There's also, you know, there's a lot of false teachings around. There's a one called British Israel that says um, the British people are the uh, genetic, racial and linguistic descendants of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. I'm into linguistics a bit. I do a bit of, you know. I'm like, you know, a bit of a scientist myself. No. Um, but I like linguistics. I like to, I've got a bit of an interest in it, I'll just say. The English language is nothing like the Hebrew language. There is no relation whatsoever except they're both Indo-European languages. And they have some, you know, common elements just like all Indo-European languages have. There's no DNA uh, evidence to support that they're... Uh, ethnically the same. Proof knocks that British Israel theory out. The KKK came up with a theory so that they could dehumanise black people. And they said that God made these people before white people. He made these people out of the mud. And uh, he made, it was like his first go, his first attempt you know, like when someone bakes a cake, you know, and they oh, I messed up that cake, oh, I'll have to do it again. And that somehow black people were an error that God had made before making the real humans. Absolute stupidity. But this is what people do when they try to justify their evil actions. This is what people do. And then on the other side of the fence, you've got the... Uh, the gods of suns and earth and the nation of Islam that believe that white people were created a few thousand years ago by an evil scientist named Jacob. Must have been a pretty good scientist back then, create people. But anyway, these are the lies that you have running around and famous people believe those lies. People you would think are smart believe these lies. We also have, you know, um, Trinitarianism and I'm not going to, you know, this isn't a teaching on oneness or anything like that. But basically, if you look at how Trinitarianism developed, you never see the word Trinity in the Bible. And there's a good reason for that. It's because it's unnecessary. It's not necessary. God is one. The Bible says it over and over and over again. God is one. God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. O Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. Or Elohinu, sorry. O Shema Israel, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad. So, basically, I was just discussing this uh, last night with, um, with a brother in a Bible study, and we we're just saying basically where Trinitarian came from was they were trying to defend the church against a false doctrine called Arianism. And Arianism had risen up and, and that had asserted that there were two gods. 
a big God, Jehovah, and a little God, Jesus, basically. And they were trying to defend the church against this false teaching. And so what they did, they over-explained God. And they started using all these terms and all these things, saying, well, God is three persons in one Godhead. That's not biblical. It doesn't appear in the Bible. There's no reference to three persons. They started using their own theories, their own explanations, their own way of describing God to describe God rather than just using the Bible, just coming back to the Bible. Let's co- Who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, for in him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if the Godhead is three people in one, they're all in Jesus. But that's not what the Bible says. God the Father, God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. We've got to, you know, obviously I'm not going to go on with it tonight, like I said. But we've got to uphold the first commandment. Hear Israel, the Lord our God is what? One Lord. Hear Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Atheism. And this is the big one. This is what's happening. You know, like 10, 15, 20 years ago, who's been a Christian for more than 20 years? Put up your hand. You remember when you used to be able to say to someone you're a Christian and they respected you? You know, they actually thought, oh, good on you. (laughs) They actually like admired the fact that you're a Christian. They were nice to you about it. These days they look at you like you came from another planet. Like, what's wrong with you? Like you're some sort of, you know, terrible person. But atheism asserts that everything came from nothing for no reason. That everything came from nothing for no reason. That's harder to believe that we, that's harder to believe than believing in God. That there was a God who made the universe from his voice, from his word, for a purpose. That to me seems easier to believe. I don't know. I think it takes more faith to believe that everything came from nothing for no reason. You know, and um, that all these ancient societies that had some sort of idea or some sort of sense of a being above them and, and had this sort of desire to worship. And sometimes, yes, they would worship the wrong thing and they would be misled and they'd do the wrong thing. But they all had this idea of worship. They all had this idea of sacrifice. They all had this idea of the metaphysical, the supernatural. And yet, here we are, the arrogant generation in the 21st century comes along and goes, you're all idiots, you don't know what you're doing, there's no such thing. If you can't see it, it isn't real. And that's what we have today. And history has shown us over and over again, as societies become more affluent, the traditional morals the society was built on erode. As this happens, as these morals erode, as as people become more affluent, they're more driven by their desire and their pleasures their hunger for pleasure, and this is the society we're living in today. Everything becomes based on pleasure and instant gratification. Do you think that's what we're living in now? Can you see that today? 
We've got people that are so, we're so well fed, we're so well, we have so much that we worry about the things that matter least. And I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about society. <laughs> Voltaire, you know, he was very critical of the church, but he also wrote this, history is filled with the sound of silken slippers going downstairs and wooden shoes going up. Basically what he was saying is, as societies become more affluent, they become soft. They become immoral. And as they do that, another society will just come along with big hard boots up the stairs and take over. And you see it happen to the Romans, you see it happen to the Greeks, you see it happen over and over again. But I think with us, we'll see the coming of the Lord. Amen? We'll see that happen. You know, so when societies become so prosperous and moral, self-gratifying, inevitably, inevitably, they will crumble due to the fact that they've just gone away from those principles. There's a pervasive undercurrent at the moment within the world and it's based on feelings and self-gratification. It's all based on pleasure and how I can feel good all the time. And we're seeing that over and over again, looking for a reason to feel victimised because people even find pleasure in that. I mean, we still have real victims. There's plenty of real victims in the world, but there's a lot of people in the world that want to be victims and look for any reason to be, look for any reason to make themselves a victim. And I just want to close, as I start to draw to a close, I just want to expose a few myths about Christianity, a bit of fake news around Christianity. Am I taking too long? Tell me if I'm taking too long. Be honest. We don't want any liars. <laughs> oh, thanks for that, Brother Solf. Since Solf said I can go on, I'll go on then. A few myths about Christianity that I thought that's that we've seen rise up in the last few years, that we've seen rise up in society. One is that Christianity is a white man's religion. It's false. You know, Christianity didn't start in Europe. It started in the Middle East. So it's technically a Middle Eastern religion. And Christianity even has a very black history as well. Christianity spread into North Africa and Africa well before it spread into Northern Europe. It, uh, under King Ezana, the kingdom of Aksum, which is uh, ancient Ethiopia, they converted, he converted to Christianity and Ethiopia became the second country to become a Christian nation, to become a Christian uh, kingdom. Armenia was the first. We see Christianity, it's spread into Sudan, into Nubia, into Egypt, into Ethiopia, even into parts of what is today Somalia. It had gone that far, and this is in just the first 200 years after Christ. So Christianity had started already spreading into Africa. And obviously we see um, the, the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts. He was one of the first, well, it seems, non-ethnically Jews to be baptised. 
So he was one of the first. He wasn't the first, but he was one of the first. And we also saw um, Simon of Cyrene. He was also um, an African as well. Another myth is that Christianity is against social justice. If you don't have Christianity, you don't have social justice. Social justice was founded on Christian principles. The very principles it's based on are based on Judeo-Christian principles. You don't have social justice without Christianity, full stop. That Christianity is racist, another myth. How did this even happen? In the, the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek. You know, and like I said, the, the, the earliest Christians were of all different races and nationalities. And the Bible said to, that he will pour out his spirit upon who? All flesh. All flesh. Not just the Hebrew people, but all flesh. Christianity is the opposite to racist. It's anti-racist, to use that term. That Christianity is sexist. You know, we, we like to, um, in this postmodern 21st century society, we like to retrofit the values and our wisdom onto things 2,000 years ago and somehow think. But the very way we arrived at these thinkings was because of Christianity, because of the influence of Christianity. Is a, lot of, a lot of these you know, things like women's rights, this is how they developed from Christianity. If you look at the way Jesus treated women and spoke to women, it was revolutionary. It was revolutionary. He had like, women who were financially supporting his work, uh, like uh, Joanna. Um, he, you know, he had Mary and uh, Martha as well. The way he interacted and spoke with women, he broke lots of taboos that were around at that time. The woman at the well. You remember his, they came back, the apostles came out, what are you talking to her for? <laughs> the, 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 you know, and even in the Bible it says there's neither male nor female. And obviously that's outside of the, the, the marriage and so forth, but, we're not, but Christianity is not sexist. It's not sexist. That Christianity is no longer relevant. It's no longer relevant. How? How do you get rid of the thing that founded your very modern society and your human rights and your equality? The very thing that brought you to this place, you then want to remove. The very foundation to why we have a society where we're not servants to some king, you know, that who could just say at the drop of a hat, off with his head. You know, a lot of these principles come from Christianity. How is Christianity no longer relevant? Christianity is the exact answer to every problem we see in this world today. Amen. The gospel is the antidote to the world's problems that we see today. If you have Christ in your heart, if you truly have Christ in your heart, then you love Everyone. Amen? So racism is removed from the situation. Sexism is removed from the situation. You look at people as people. You look at people the way God 
looks at people. Amen? With love and compassion. If someone truly has Christ in their life, they love themselves and accept who they are. And accept who they are. Instead of thinking that they need to be another gender or they need to be something else or they need to change who they are, the way they look, say, for instance. All that's removed because people start to accept who they are and love themselves the way God loves them. Amen? The love of God overcomes self-hatred. It overcomes hatred of others. You begin to look at people as souls, as equals, that everyone has the same needs. Amen? My cousin, he said to me once, Ben, you know, basically everyone's the same, but different. <laughs> and as silly as that sounds, it's a profound statement. And if you, any of you know my cousin, he's a pretty profound kind of guy. Um, I have many cousins, but the one that used to come here. But uh, the answer to every problem we have right now is J-E-S-U-S. If I could have the musicians, please. The gospel is the only antidote to the issues we face in society. Wasn't it? Has anyone seen the videos of Victor Jackson who came over here a couple of years ago for a, a youth camp? preaching on the streets of Minneapolis, in the very spot where George Floyd died. There he is, preaching Acts 2.38, praying for people to get the Holy Ghost, baptising. They were baptising people on that very spot in the name of Jesus Christ. Amazing. This is the antidote. Building the kingdom of God, a community of believers with a common purpose to be partners with God, the initial reason why God created man. Whose report will you believe? Isaiah 53 verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Numbers 13.30 said, Then Caleb silenced the people, as we said before, before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can certainly do it. Say, we can certainly do it again. Say it again. We can certainly do it. Don't be afraid of the giants. Don't be afraid of the lies and the fake news and the challenges. God is on our side. Amen. We need to believe in the honest report. We need to believe in the true report. We need to believe in God's Word. In the report of victory. Remember who wins at the end of the book. Who wins at the end of the book? Amen. It's us, the believers. We win. We win at the end of the book. There's no need for fear. There's no need to be crippled by fear. Be overcome with fear. The Lord is with us. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8. If you could all be upstanding please. It says, And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not. Say, fear not. Neither be 
dismayed or be discouraged. Don't be discouraged, church, by all the lies and all the fake news. You know, we're confronted now by people that are literally anti-Christian everywhere we go. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to speak up and say, I believe. I believe in the report of the Lord. I believe in the good news. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died, was buried and rose again for my sins, for the sins of mankind. I believe that Jesus came and He's still alive. Amen. He's still alive and on the throne and He loves us, each and every one of us. Do you believe tonight? Whose report are you going to believe? As this zeitgeist, you know what a zeitgeist is? means spirit of the time in German. The spirit of the time is trying to lead us astray. It's trying to send these lies that it's okay to kill a baby that's in someone's womb, that it's okay for all these things. It's okay for a man to become a woman and a woman to become a man. That it's okay that there is no God. That it doesn't matter what you do as long as it feels good. That's the basis of this zeitgeist. It's all based on pleasure and self-gratification. And guess what? The first commandment of the Satanic Bible is written by Anton LaVey. Do what thou wilt. Do whatever you want. And that's exactly what the world is trying to tell us today. Don't believe the fake news. If you want to spend some time with the Lord tonight, if you want to have that boldness to be able to say, I believe in the report of the Lord, I believe in the gospel. If you are having trouble wherever you are, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, tonight you can give your heart to the Lord. You can confess before and make Him your Lord and Saviour. You can repent of your sins. You can even be baptised. We even have clothes so you can be baptised for the washing away of your sins. And who can be baptised? Well, like Philip said to the eunuch, he said, do you believe? He goes, yes, I do. He goes, well, you may be baptised. So let's come and spend some time with the Lord if you want to seek His face, if you want to get some strength and boldness so that you can hold on to the good news despite whatever fake news, despite whatever lies are trying to come at you. You know, and steal promises from you and get you to focus on the problem instead of the promise. Come and spend some time with the Lord.